So instead of looting them, they just ate them, and then they ate their bones, and then all, they dropped all the uh, all their equipment, and then they just assumed that's that was how you. Oh, loot. that's the looting. Yeah, they, they they were they they, they just they, and they like they said uh, I think what did they say they were like oh okay I get oh that that hurt me but I guess that's the cost of getting their equipment. Oh, it's perceived <laughs> as like a separate risk reward. Yeah, yeah, like if you want their equipment, you have to just take take a little bit of damage by eating their bones. Hi everybody, this is Soren Johnson and you are listening to Designer Notes, a podcast about why we make games. Today we are talking to independent game developer Tyreek Plummer. He is best known as the artist, programmer, and designer behind the roguelike platformer Catacomb Kids. I'm working currently on a game called Catacomb Kids, which is a procedurally generated dungeon crawling permadeath platformer, uh, otherwise known as a roguelike. Uh, roguelike, like rogue. Oh right, right. Roguelite. Rogue, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. I think genre names are stupid. But, uh, <laughs> uh, so that's been my project for full full time for the past year. For the first year, I've been working on it full time, but. Uh, for several years before that, on and off, and uh, so it was successfully kickstarted at the end of uh, 2013, and uh, just recently came out on Steam Early Access. Yeah, so that's exciting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I guess prior to that, I've just done jam games uh, over the years, uh, which have turned out with varying degrees of success, as jam games are wont to do. What was your favorite one? I think I'm getting, I've been getting better at them. So, like, the, the more recent ones are like, yeah, I'm pretty proud of this, you know. Um, I think there's there's ones in particular that I really want to revisit, though, and expand upon. I think it would make a, a good mobile game, which was called uh, Lonely Hated Rock. I made Lonely f- Hated Rock. Lonely Hated Rock. <laughs> I made it for uh, uh, Ludum Lud- Dare. Sounds really upbeat. <laughs> uh, for Ludum Dare, uh, where the theme was, uh, I think, Tiny Planets. And so mm. uh, the game was basically you just kind of defending your tiny planet by like rotating around it and like shooting asteroids and stuff and space pirates. There were like procedurally generated space pirates that would come and attack and uh, you had to like build structures like turrets and stuff because you couldn't be everywhere at once. Oh, okay. Yeah. But you had to use resources and like, so like you get resources by killing enemies, but, but then like if you ran out of resources, you could also drill into your planet to get resources. That's which would cool. deplete the health. So it's oh, like you're kind of okay. using, using the health as a resource to protect your planet from, from further damage. Nice. I think that would. I, I kind of really want to revisit that one, like make it into like a, a nice mobile game or something like that. Cool. Um, yeah. Um, what made you want to make a a roguelike game or roguelite or whatever? Yeah. yeah. Whatever yeah. Uh, specific term. Death labyrinth. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I really like the term rogue love. That's that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, but uh, it's really it's kind of strange though because I've wanted to make a platformer roguelike since before I knew what roguelikes were, mm. and so I was just like making making these games that would like okay it's like permadeath or like you know you loot enemies and and, and you know like everything is kind of different each time and so that that sort of thing. But I. I had encountered roguelikes before, but but put you know I like played them for a bit, 
But yeah, so like the the lack of graphics really turned me off, and I couldn't really get into them. I was like, because when, when I first met you, I guess this is totally clear. So I mean, you are you're a, a professional commercial game designer now uh, yeah. to some degree, right? Yes. But, but uh, <laughs> when we first met, uh, it was through pixel art. Yes, uh, we were pixel artists and animators and so on. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, I can see how the the lack of graphics could potentially be a turnoff. I guess. Yeah, um, but then I played a, a roguelike called Powder. I fucking loved it. Am I allowed to curse? <laughs> yes, I, th- I think so. Okay. Well, I effing loved it. I'll, I'll uh, figure it out later. Okay. Uh, I, I, and that was that's like been just a general huge inspiration for me for my games from now on. And then like that's when I sort of realized that this is what roguelikes were. And then I went huh. back to those other games I had encountered before where I couldn't get past the lack of graphics, and I really got into those as well. And I was like, oh. And then I realized that, like, this, this, these are the kinds of games I had been trying to make all along. Is like, yeah. these have the sort of, like, dungeon-crawling elements and, like, the difficulty and, you know, just this, that sort of same skill. But I, had, I didn't know that these were, were things, you know. I didn't know, that, <laughs> right, I didn't know right. that this is what I was trying to make, you know. Yeah. But uh, just, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of platformers as well, so I just wanted to make it a, you know, a side view. So, uh, but yeah, and then uh, I just like messing around in Game Maker. I one day just made a level generator. It wasn't even really a level generator. It was just like a random walk <laughs> algorithm. It was just like, oh, this may, may this makes empty spaces. Let me put a platformer in here, and that was sort of the beginning of Catacomb Kids. Huh. So. Cool. Um, what is it about the uh uh? So, I mean, like, I get that you like platformers, but um, was there something about the idea of uh, the specific way that a platformer uh, and um, permadeath and all of those things combine that's especially interesting? Uh, I don't know. I, I like... Or even if not at first, what's been like? What's been like coming out in Catacomb Kids design? Because I think probably a lot of listeners will, or people reading the book or whatever will have... Um, like Spelunky will be high in their minds in terms of like randomly generated platformer permadeath yeah. type things. Um, but Catacombkins looks and feels really different. Yeah. So I, I had been trying, like I said, I've been trying to make a game like, like this for a while before I even realized it. And then a uh, Spelunky came out and that the, like a few months after Spelunky, not, not, not the HD remake, but the original right, PC yeah. version of Spelunky, like a, a few months after that came out is when the sort of the first version of, of the current iteration of Catacomb Kids, uh, game became a thing. And mm-hmm. it was like when I realized like, okay, this is, this is a thing that I want to make, you know, I'm going to turn this into a project. As opposed yeah. to just like, oh, these are a bunch of different experiments and that sort of thing. Yeah. So Spelunky has been a huge inspiration, but I, I steal liberally from everything. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. like uh, Smash Brothers, just the entire Smash Brothers series is also one of my favorite uh, you know, game series. So mm-hmm. that's, that mm-hmm. also has, has a huge impact on it. And uh, I kind of missed out on... Like my my generation was like I kind of missed out on on a lot of the SNES and Genesis sort of platformers and stuff. But you know, as a kid, we like didn't really have a huge amount of of you know money to spend on like getting all the games and stuff like that. So yeah. I, I got really into emulation, and that's that's essentially what brought me to into pixel art in the first place. Oh. Is just emulate emulation and playing all these old games and stuff like that. Where I was playing uh like a. What was it Demon's Crest? I think is I love that game, and yeah. uh, you know all the old like Mario games and stuff like that. So I kind of came into them late, but they still had a profound effect on me, and, and all these amazing you know platformers from that era. 
and I, you know, I just sort of fell in love with this, the skill requirements of being able to like react and, and, you know, make these, these, uh, you know, actions and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. There's, um, uh, it's interesting. It sounds like one of the mechanics from Lonely Hated Rock and a bunch of things in, um, the Catacomb Kids Early Access, I feel like overlap a lot where, uh, you, uh, I feel like you do a really good job of taking one, uh, one thing, one idea or item or mechanic or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then it has, it'll have like several different kind of, uh, like expressions of itself, like uh, Catacomb Kids has this like goo ball thing yeah, yeah. that is not. Um, it's kind of like it's not just a goo ball. Like there's take there's like there's like a, a you could easily imagine having five different items in the game that each had kind of one purpose, right? Uh, as opposed to this one item that has kind of these multiple expressions, right? Uh, did you like? Do you want to give a quick rundown of just like like let's like go like. What do these goose flying things do? Um, and like, what's your inspiration for like, uh, and, and like approach to putting all of these things in there? Well, well, to explain the slime is there's, there, there are enemies like slime enemies, you know, they're, yeah. it's, it's an RPG. There has, yeah, there yeah, have yeah. to be slime enemies, yeah. right? So, uh, but in Catacomb Kids, like most, most enemies, if you basically, the rule is if you can kill it, you can eat it and it has to leave <laughs> yeah. a corpse. So like you kill these slimes and then they, they leave their little corpse and you can eat them, you know, eat, eat, eat a few of them and you'll yeah. like gain, regain some And you can eat everything. You can eat bats. Yeah, yeah. You can, <laughs> you can like... eat rats. You can eat like, the, you're, you, you can eat like, if you kill a zombie, you can like eat its body and it'll poison you. Or, like you can choke on bones and that sort of thing. Uh, <laughs> I've actually seen some Let's Plays where people are, are like, they're still learning the game and they like eat, eat like a skeleton and then they just choke to death and they're like, oh, oh, like, it's, it's that kind of game. Okay. Yeah. And this actually uh, feels like, this feels like almost more, uh, more, kind of genuine roguelike type yeah. of properties, like these like really surprising thing. Uh, there's a, there's a character to this that I love, which is um, surprising the first time it happens and then like impossible to forget. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really great. Well, that, well, this is going back to the, going oh, yeah. back to the, the slime. Yeah, yeah. The slime. So like you can, you can eat it or you can uh, throw it at a wall and it'll stick to the wall and sort of make a handhold for you to, you know, climb up further beyond what you would normally be able to reach. You can also throw it at like humanoid enemies and it'll stick to their face and blind them for a brief period of time and have them like, you can like do that and, and just like move out of the way and they'll like run, run into a pit of lava or switch bikes or something like that. <laughs> uh, you can also, like, if you, like, roll it under a trap, like, there are these crush traps that are, like, swamps. You roll it under a trap, and it'll smash down and get stuck to the ground for a brief period of time. Like, yeah. like and, and um, what else can you do? Oh, you can uh, put, so you, there are bottles. Like, like if you can find a potion bottle and then drink the, drink the actual potion, and then you'll be left with an empty bottle. And then you can put the ball of slime in the empty bottle and then roll it over a fire, and it'll melt the slime inside the bottle, and you'll have, like, a bottle of slime. And then you can, like, throw that at enemies, and it'll, like, explode into a big, you know, gooey mess that'll stick enemies to, their, to where they are, and, like, then you can just, oh, like, man. leave you to deal with them. Uh, so, yeah, the, but the sort of running theme throughout all that is that purple slimes are sticky. And right, so right. this uh, sort of going back to, to like roguelikes and stuff, I just like one of my favorite things about them is just the consistency. Like I am a huge fan of consistency in, I guess, everything, but especially in games where it's like you, 
things make a kind of logical sense and their properties like you can't for like you can't just like do this thing with this thing and then for some reason it doesn't work with this thing you know yeah like, i like it i like it like like that's where like the eating thing comes in it's like if you can eat this why shouldn't i be able to eat my severed arm you know or something like that you know <laughs> right. <laughs> right and it's yeah. like so like just uh the other thing i like about about roguelikes is is that like every all the enemies are under the same rules as the player so like right like like every everything exists on this kind of equal terms kind of world where if it can affect you then it can affect them and you know yeah. you know if, if you can do this with this then you should be able to do it with that and so that sort of led to the sort of uh, current state where it's like everything has these properties and they're consistent throughout the entire use of that of that object and uh when the kicks like so that that had that had been sort of a a theme in the game for a while but when when we were doing kickstarter uh we we put out like the first sort of trailer that was very game trailerish mm-hmm. and that got some attention but you know but people were like were like oh this looks like another you know platformer you know action yeah. type thing but then we put out a trailer showing the all internet the internet loves to say just like uh pixel art platformer <laughs> no yeah yeah uh, exactly uh but then the for the second video we we put out a Later, later, uh, on the, on the, during the Kickstarter, it was uh, basically just a dev- developer video, like me playing and showing all the things you can do with a rock, like yeah. which is like the, with the most simple item in the game. And so, with the rock, you can like, like toss it, to, like toss it at a wall, and the noise it'll make dist- will distract enemies. Or you can like, you know, throw it to, and kill. You can like kill an enemy with it, and it'll become a bloody rock. And then you can drop it into a pool of water, and that'll d- distract the fish because the fish are bloodthirsty, so they'll be attacking the rock instead of you, and that sort of thing. And people saw that, and they got like really excited, like "Holy crap, this looks really amazing!" And so that's when we sort of realized that, like, "Oh, this like this is what people want." So like that's like I, I had known that was a yeah. thing, but now like after after putting that out and seeing that that's what players reacted to, I was like, "Yes, okay, this excites them. This excites me. This is what I'm going to focus on." You know, I'm yeah. Gonna... It sounds like that's that uh, uh, this quality missing from other games sounds like it's one of the things that inspired um, the approach to designing the items this way, and it, so it kind of makes sense then that in retrospect, that that would be, like, the thing that people would be drawn to, because yeah. it's it's that missing piece. Yeah. Like, platformer is not, you know, there are other platformers. Right. There are other games that have pixel art. Right. But this, um, this, uh, this attention to detail in the, um, in the rules of mm-hmm. the world uh, is not something that's it's nearly as common, I think, in indie games or, or any kind of games, really. Right. I think one of the kind of funny things that's come about is that, like, I, I'm a fan of minimalism in games, and, like, like I really love uh, Droken's games and stuff like that, because they're very straightforward and mechanically simple, but also, you know, very fun and stuff, and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. So I'm a fan of minimalism in games, but I'm not sure that actually comes through in Catacomb Kids, because <laughs> it seems like a very complex game. Mm-hmm. But sort of one of the rules I'm following is that, like, ev- like everything has simple rules, like the objects, like slime is sticky. That's a pretty simple rule and straightforward and stuff. But yeah. but it's just the the way the things combine and interact creates very complex situations. So everything, like every individual thing in the game, I think I'm trying to keep fairly. I don't know if I can use minimalistic, but fairly simple and straightforward. Yeah, and just uh, adding, making it so that such that when you com- when you put that thing in the context of all these other simple items, crazy things happen. Yeah. So cool. Um. 
does it uh i like the this thing so sometimes like we use uh uh in our internal projects we start using words like uh we'll say uh you know verb to describe different game actions mm. so like the player has these verbs and mm. this object has these properties yeah and, um, and usually I feel like, um, I know in one of our projects and in a lot of RPGs, items really are a verb, mm-hmm. you know, there's like an attack item or a, uh, health boost item or whatever. Um, and it's, it's, uh, I like the catacomb kids items seem to be more like adjectives or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's it, a good way of putting or, it. Or like it has, it has this property sticky and that expresses itself in really different ways depending on what's going on. Right. Um, is that something where you, like, you're kind of just playing the game and you go like, oh, when you throw it in there, it should do yeah. this? Yeah, basically, like, I, like I'll play, so I'll, like, I'll be playing the game and I'll just, like, be playing and be like, <coughs> you know what, this should happen, you know, it's like, this should happen when we've, like, if you, if you throw this at a wall, it should stick there, you know, it shouldn't mm-hmm. just bounce off like, like any of the other thing. So, it, it, yeah, it is, a lot of it is just, like, try, like, doing something and, and then, like, like it's kind of funny because like sometimes I'll like forget what I've programmed in, and then be like, <laughs> yeah. like I'll be like playing and be like, wait, is this gonna work or not? And then I'll do it, and if it doesn't work, I'll be like, that should work, and then I add it. And sometimes it'll be like, I forgot I added that. I'm, I'm like, I'm really happy that works, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I like it. you mentioned that like the uh, like in a lot of games, uh, items are verbs, whereas I feel like in Catacomb Kids, the player still has all the verbs. Like, yeah, is like the players and the enemies and like the living things still have all the verbs and the items are what you verb, if that makes yeah. sense. It's like the th- it's the things you're acting upon, but they don't really have much, you know, inherent uh, stuff, you know, yeah. inherent, you know, act- action within. Them. Yeah, it's really interesting uh, and something that um, I think makes a lot of sense. Actually, it's something that we've been struggling with on our project because. Um, what we've been finding is that it's actually really like items tend to be represented by icons. And I think that's, it's essentially that way in catacomb kids. You can see like, Oh, there's a little tiny sword. My guy's got a little tiny sword right. and here's my little goo ball thing. Um, and it's really, really hard to, um, there's just like, there's all this, um, uh, going from an item or an icon, uh, like a noun essentially mm. to, a verb to an action uh, requires like a bunch of leaps and assumptions mm. uh, as like a human or that's, that's what it seems like. Like, so um, the idea of keeping all of the verbs on the, um, the living things right. uh, seems like it, it sort of sidesteps a whole bunch of weird problems. Like the problem being like, if you wanted uh, the other way of doing like, sticky goo so the way you have it sort of like you you throw the goo and depending on where it lands different interesting things happen basically um there's another rpg approach to it which is like you select the goo menu and under the goo menu there's like you know a stick trap to ground right you know and do this and do this and do this where those are you know the different the different verbs that are associated with that item right but um it's really elegant the way it sidesteps that it's not really a question, I guess. But, um, has there been a time where um, this approach has kind of like backfired, where uh, you feel like, oh, we should put this item in the game, um, and I think it'd be cool if it has these th- these properties, and 
like either putting in all of the properties it should have is like impossible because it could, it could do a hundred different things or it's just been super lame or. Well, hmm. I can't think of anything that's been super lame. Well, I did have, I, this isn't really an item, but I, I uh, added a hunger clock for like a week and that was a super terrible <laughs> idea. Don't add hunger clocks to real time games. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, so soon, soon after the Kickstarter finished, uh, in a, I think like February of last year or something, I tried adding ropes to the game and mm-hmm. that was basically three weeks wasted. It was, it wasn't the, the ropes. I, I, I still kind of wanted to add ropes eventually, but like the implementation was just me banging my head against the wall and getting really frustrated and not making much progress. And, like, so the idea was that, like, okay, you'd have these ropes. They'd be sort of, you know, like, you could use them like Spelunky ropes where you, like, throw them up and they sort of stick to the ceiling and you can climb them. That, sure. That, that part worked functionally. But mm-hmm. I also wanted them to, you know, I, I was, like, really sort of maybe overly uh, intent on, like, make, like, explicitly saying, hey, guys, this isn't a Spelunky clone, you know. And so, sure. like, I, mean, I felt like if I wanted to have ropes in the game, they should fit with the rest of the theme of the items in the game where they have, like, all these different uses and stuff like that. So it was like, okay, yeah. you can stick them to the ceiling and climb them, but you can also sort of Tarzan swing on them, and then you can, you know, like, attach this rope to... You can attach ropes to items and stuff and, like, sort of haul them. And yeah. or, like, or, like, you can, like, you know, throw, throw, you know, throw the anchor part at an enemy and it'll stick to the enemy, and then you can, like, drag them around or, like, bind them up and stuff like that. That was... Just on a technical level, I I was just it it didn't work and uh, and ropes aren't in the game, <laughs> and, and so like and like uh, Mike who's has been helping me out with like the, the sort of press and marketing side and he helped me put together Kickstarter and stuff like that. He he sort of has like a running theme joke where it's like we don't talk about ropes <laughs> because that was just and and I just feel I feel so bad because like. That was shortly after the Kickstarter, and I was like excited to that people were interested. And I was like, "All right, I'm gonna you know put out this amazing update with the ropes, and they're gonna be so impressed with all the interactions and stuff." And it just ended up being like three weeks of me just sitting there trying to get this thing to work, and it not working, and end up end up just like you know screw it, I'm not working, I'm not doing doing this anymore, you know? Yeah, so. I can I can totally see how they would be really tempting because they they're like they have all these different affordances, all these different ways in which they could be used. But it also, it does seem kind of different from some of the other uh, kind of multi-affordance items in the Mm -hmm. game where it's like, it almost has like a, uh, like these weird states or something. It's like, it's not just like you attach a rope to something and then a series of things has to be able to proceed from there as right. opposed to a lot of these other things where it's like if you just stick the goo ball to the wall it's just stuck to the wall right yeah so the, that's that, that, that's, that's, the... I think that's another thing where it was like the most like the other items they have these crazy interactions with, with the environment and with other items and stuff but they're still fairly self-contained whereas the right. rope it was like the rope was meant to be like this sort of intermediary item that wouldn't like yeah. it, would, it would be useful on its own but like it would still like have these like more, more interactions with other items and stuff like that that would be it, it was very strange and I'm not entirely sure yeah, like, like I completely <laughs> understand like now I'm like oh yeah you should try to put ropes <laughs> that's a good idea no yeah I, I, like I said I still want to like, yeah. like but it's just like I need to I think I need to like pare down sort of my expectations yeah. of what of what they're going to be able to do was well, the thing we see this thing happen sometimes where we have you know you have like this big pile of ideas that are like 
all the awesome gameplay. Right. And then there's like the big pile over here, which is like um, all of the things that are like not insane for a player to have to like consider and right. think about. Right. And having to kind of only use the stuff that lies in the overlap between both circles. Right. Right. And it's really hard. Like, uh, uh, I find I find it pretty easy to ignore all of the things that would make sense for a player uh, that don't have good gameplay. I'm like, yeah, yeah, throw that crap out. Yeah. But stuff that has good gameplay but that just kind of isn't working in no, this game, yeah. I'm just like, <sighs> yeah, <sighs> yes. Yeah. Like it's really hard for me to let those let those go or take those out. But right. it seems important. Yeah. Um, is there any? Is there anything other? I'm super. Like I love these things. Uh, so the, this isn't me. Like I don't want to like drag you through like <laughs> all of the catacombs kids' errors or anything. But like, is there anything else that was um, one of these like on paper, just like yeah, this is the thing, and um, and then once it's you know it's in the game, it's doing its thing. It's hmm. well. So currently there. Like this is kind of a, a design thing I'm still struggling with. Is currently in the game there are, like there are different classes and each class has its own ability. And I was like, and uh, so the way you activate your ability is basically through uh, button input. So like for the bully, it's up, down, up, and that'll taunt. So it's like these okay. weird kind of fighting game inputs. And like for for the for the poet, it's like down, forward, up, and then they'll like take out the book and use it as a weapon, and then you push it, input it again, put it away. Hmm. And so, but it's like kind of, it, it it doesn't really fit with a lot of the rest of the game in terms of just the way it's activated. Like, I like the, this, this is where you, what you're saying, it's like, I like the actual, the ability and like the gameplay it, it, it affords, but just like, yeah. uh, I, I, I just need to figure out like a better way to actually input it in the game. And like the game is already kind of, I think overburdened with buttons and I don't want to like add another button to, you know, for this, for this ability. But then if I like treat it like a spell, then it won't feel quite as part of the character. You know, there's all these yeah. sort of issues that, I, and, and, uh, the, the main, like a lot of people have, have been like saying like, ah, I keep accidentally doing this thing, you know, because they're like trying to do something else and they accidentally put in the button combination. It's like, Oh dang, I didn't mean to do that. You know, that sort of thing. So that's, that's sort of something I'm still trying to work out. Uh, Hmm. But yeah, and I mentioned before the hunger clock, um, which, <laughs> yeah, yes, which didn't yeah. work out because yeah. it's like it, it, the the game. Wasn't you really hoping like the the thing because like the hunger clock? You're like, yeah, this is going to be great. Well, I, I I wasn't really adding it because I thought it would add to the game. I, I was adding it because I was like, this is a roguelike. Roguelikes have hunger. You know, you, you eat things. Oh, and you oh, okay, know, okay, yeah. so it, it, it was it was just poorly thought out. You know, I, I wasn't really thinking of it in terms of it's like a genre expectation. Yeah, I was just thinking of it in, ter to... in terms of in terms of genre conventions rather than what it would actually add to the game. Yeah, and so, uh, but yeah, like. The the game is pretty. Uh, I'm not going to say slow paced, but it's 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 a lot more methodical. Like when you compare it to something like Spelunky, which is very arcadey, and you know you can like do these crazy speed runs and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. People like doing. I think I saw like a eight minute. It was like it was like six minute hell run or something like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like somewhere. Yeah. Like yeah. it's it getting ridiculous and so. But like with Catacomb Kids, it's like much more methodical, much more like like you have to kind of assess situations and, and you know take it take it a little slower before you figuring out how to approach it. And then when I added the hunger clock, it basically just destroyed that component of the game because like you're constantly getting hungry and you have to like constantly kill things and it's like it it removes your your ability to play how you want because you have to kill things. Like the, the reason I have the orb of leveling instead of gaining experience is because I want people to be able to 
play how they want without having to like grind or anything like that. It's just like you have this one objective, find the orb, get to the exit, you know, uh, and then adding the hunger clock, it, it sort of removed that nuance. Right, right, so, right. Yeah. So, so that was in for about a week and I was like, this is really stupid. <laughs> and then I took it out. Yeah. I think it's, um, uh, I think it's really the right decision when you're in this, you're in a scenario where you've done, you've like put in all this work to create this like, uh, a nuanced expressive space where, um, you know, especially in action games and I, and in our project, we definitely think of it in pretty binary terms. So like you should be able to play as someone who wants to murder everything mm. or someone who doesn't want to murder anything ever. Right. And we're going to do the best that we can to allow you to get as close as you can to either end of that spectrum, right. just as like a really basic, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what the dry, exactly what, is the thing that makes me want to do that so mm-hmm. much. I mean, I guess it's just to be more satisfying, but it feels, it feels like there's something more to that than just letting, uh, giving people more freedom. It's almost like, can, can the system handle it? Right. Yeah. Like, is the world I built a sufficiently rigorous that you can play it without following a really basic, right. like greedy, AI type of script almost. Right. Yeah. Uh, that wasn't a question again. I <laughs> um, well, I agree. <laughs> I agree with that statement. Um, are there things that came out of, um, uh, are there things that are coming out of building the game, uh, from a side view specifically that are like really, especially exciting, weird, emergent properties. I mean, I guess there's sort of like jumping is like a thing that wouldn't normally be in a in a roguelike game. Mm-hmm. Um, are there things where you because but because I like I'm trying to imagine like uh, if it was top down, you could have slimes, you could go kill slimes, and you could collect them, and they'd be sticky, and yeah. you could use sticky to do different things. Is right. there sort of a favorite item where you're like, this is like side view, this is like the thing. Hmm. Uh... I'm not sure. Well, with the slimes, there's that there's sort of like verticality that they assist you with the climbing and that sort of stuff. But yeah, uh, I don't know. It's hard, it's hard for me to say just because like I, I have this fondness for just the platforming mechanics in general. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, it would it would I think it would work as a top down game. I think it would work fine as that. But it's, that's not really the game I want to make. You know, it's like yeah. And I, then there are like top down roguelikes, you know. So they are for sure. That's yeah. a thing that already exists. Totally, you know? totally. So uh, more, more for me, I think more than the uh, platforming aspect is is sort of the real time aspect and sort of the way the way one situation flows to the next, and mm-hmm. and you know you have to be, like you're you're trying to assess these situations, but you're still trying to be aware of your environment and, and like quick on your feet. So like uh, there's a spell uh, portal in the game, which basically acts like the portals from portal except you can like sort of steer them around a bit so you can like okay sort of like shoot it out and there's like this glowing ball that you sort of steer and then you can like stick it on this wall and then you get another one you can stick it on another wall but while you're doing that you're completely immobile and the world is still moving around you right that's sort of sort of the thing where like you you're like trying to be methodical and like okay where should i put this portal and then where should i put the oh shit i'm being attacked you know (laughs) it's like it's like you're you're, so you have to it's like so you have to still be kind of quick enough to, to, to deal with the, the, with the situations you're in and uh, like looting enemies also doesn't pause the game. So like you have to sort of wait until the fight is over before you turn, you know, see what your spoils were. 
because otherwise you'll just be like, oh, you know, trying to like take this dude's sword and go, you know, in the middle of a fight. That's not really a good thing to do. You know? So <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I, I think I think more, more than this, the platforming aspect, the uh, real time aspect, and and just sort of the platforming mechanics in general are, make it something different. You know. Yeah. Is it? Um, yeah, it feels like it stands out really well. Um, but and now I mean, I'm curious. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, like, I mean, there's just by virtue of being a platformer, there's you know, for instance, you can like tip over a torch, that and that'll like catch the ground on fire and stuff like that. And now you have to like jump over the fire. So there's that mm-hmm. sort of thing. But like, oh, right, right, right. Yeah. And like top down, no, like you could have an equivalent scenario where instead of jumping over the fire, you just like walk around or something like that. You know. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. But it's. Like, um, I can think. I can think of a lot of analogs to to the mechanics that would work in top down. Yeah. It's, but like it's it's seems, it seems like a big deal that it gives you like it gives you like gravity as a thing, right. like a, per- a pervasive extra weird ingredient right. that is like adding more context and, and causing other weird things to right. happen. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Gravity is definitely something that like like you can like knock enemies into lava and stuff like that. And sort of you have to take you have to take the the verticality of the environment into account when when you know in, yeah. engaging in enemies or, or approaching situations and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a connection for you between this sort of like um, wanting it to be real time and also wanting it to have this sort of higher than normal level of like consistency? What do you mean? Like, is that, is, is, um, uh, I'm curious if that's like going f- like, uh, like a wanting like a sense of like immersion or like, uh, cause like if I'm playing Dark Souls, like one of my favorite weird, dumb things that Dark Souls does is when you manage your inventory, it doesn't pause the game. Right. It has no pause button. Right. And, uh, it also has this kind of, uh, uh, weirdly non, kind of like a non-mainstream approach oh. to consistency kind of at the same yeah. time. And those things kind of seem to feed back into like a, um, uh, like a sense of like immersion or, or presence or something. Right. Well, yeah. One of the, one of sort of my goals of the game is to make it so that like as much as possible, like it happens within the actual game space of the world. So, like, if, if if there's, like, a crafting, like, if I eventually add, like, a, some sort of crafting, you know, or, like, where you can make your own weapon, it won't be through a menu. It'll be through, in, you know, manipulating these things in, in the in the, in the the game world. And, and you know, like, I don't know, like, take this stick and stick the stick to the goo, you know, over here, you know, throw the goo at the stick and then they'll combine. And then you, like, find a slab of metal and then drag that over and then, like, yeah. you know, stick it all over a campfire and then put it in, you know, drag, drag it to the crush trap. And now you have a sword or something like that, you know? So, like, <laughs> yeah. it, 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 yeah. it won't be through menus. And I, I, I really value that sort of, you know, as you said, cons- consistency, you know, within the game world where it's like, okay, if you want to do something, you have to do it. You can't just, like, like... Oh, you collected fifty metals ingots. Now you go to this crafting station and you know make a sword. Yeah, you know, that's that. That really sort of takes me out of of my character. You know, doing these hmm. things. Hmm. So it's like I, I want to feel like like I as the character in the in the game space am 
making a sword. I want to feel like I have to go here and go here and g- gather these ingredients and, and put them in the proper yeah. places and, you know, make them interact in such a way that, that it creates something as opposed to just uh, opening up a menu and then pushing a button and then maybe, like, waiting. <laughs> right, right. So it's like, as opposed to, like, a, like, very carefully decorated vending machine. Right, exactly. There's, yeah. like, a process. Yeah. And uh, is the appeal of that that then, like, the, the sword itself kind of means something yeah it's it's like it adds an incredible value to to the things you make because it's like it's you actually made it like it you not only did you actually do it but you figured out how to do it you know like yeah and so like yeah. there's, there's this sort of creativity like i'm like when i i'm it's really hard uh like trying to be open with development and also have secrets in the game and stuff yes. like that. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So like, but I'm like, I'm like, if I, if I add something like that, like, am I going to tell players how to do it or should I just like let them find out for themselves? You know? Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, like I, I think it would be really nice for like people to just try stuff and then they figure it out and then like they, you know, there's going to be a community. So they like tell everybody else like, Holy crap guys, did you know you could do this? And like, if you, and then, so people start experimenting with that and they, they like, Oh, if you do it this way with this alteration, you get this other better thing. And you know, that sort of thing, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I feel, I feel like if you just had like a, a menu that had like a drop down list or something that would, that would just be completely non-present because people would just see like, Oh, I have these things. Hmm. I can make this, you know? I think uh, Minecraft also sort of sort of had a similar thing where people discovered recipes and that sort of thing, even yeah. though that was through a menu. But then Minecraft was also different in that it, like, you had to collect the things, but you also had to place them. And so there was that sort of element of physicality, even though it was through a menu. Right, so, right, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah, because you have to actually drag them up, and there's yeah, some and, kind and, of and place them agency. In, yeah, and, and yeah, like, and I can, I can, I can, like, still, still clearly remember, like, looking at the crafting grid and going and looking at what's in my inventory and going, like, I bet if I put these in a plus shape, yeah, it's exactly. gonna make a sword. Yeah, and it's a pretty cool feeling. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so like, so maybe, uh, like, I, I often feel like. Uh, you know, like, oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go all the trouble to make like a whole separate system for this. I'm just gonna make a fancy vending machine with a menu, and right. that that way, that thing is done and out of the way. But I think you're right. I think you you, you lose a there's a sense of discovery that you lose. Mm. Uh, there's like a kind of a weird sense of ownership of like item represented by effort or something, yeah. and then. Uh, you know, as the system becomes more robust, you also start to lose, like, uh, uh, you know, advanced crafted item as, like, as expression of local resources. Yeah. Kind yeah. of, too, which is, like, kind of weird. Now you don't have to worry about, like, oh, you can only find this sword in this area. Right. Like, it's, the things are, again, consistent. Mm. Um, that's cool. <laughs> um... Usually one of the questions that I ask during this kind of interview is, like, can you give an example of something where you had to kind of, like, break a rule in the genre to um, make things really work for your game? But The Hunger Clock is actually that. Yeah. Um, well, I think, so, like I said before, I steal things liberally from <laughs> from many sources. <laughs> yeah. And I think the hunger system that I ended up implementing is one of the few original ideas that I had. Oh. <laughs> so I so there's not the hunger clock, but there's sort of a hunger hunger 
What did someone call it? They called it something much better than what I've been calling it. I've just been calling it like a, a food cue or something like that. But hmm. it's basically uh, you eat five things, and you know each thing eat like so. There's like a little a little bar in the uh, in the uh, bottom bottom left hand corner of the screen that shows the things you've eaten, and it's like got five slots in it. So you eat purple slime, and then like a little purple slime appears at the bottom. Mm-hmm. You eat like a green slime, and green slime appears. You eat like a grumble, a little grumble head appears, and it sort of shows you the things you've eaten, and you know within the past five, you know eat it, eatable miss in the top. Units. I don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very technical terms. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, so, but uh, and then once you once you've eaten five things, uh, something you'll get some benefit or some detriment depending on the things you ate. So, for instance, if you eat five green slimes, uh, once you once you eat once you eat the fifth one, you'll get like a little health bonus that'll like extend your health beyond its maximum limit. Oh, and so and. Uh, I think that's one of the one of, like one of the few original things that I've done, and I'm really proud of that of that system because and it may, it makes it so like uh, they're basically recipes. So like if you eat these these things in this order, yeah, like like you know like like okay, bone, grumblehead, uh, slime, grumblehead, bone, or something like that, yeah, then you'll get like a, a boost to to whatchamadun. <laughs> I haven't yeah. implemented that. If, if anyone's listening to this and they're playing the game, <laughs> don't do that recipe. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't quite work, but. Uh, but yeah, and I think that that's uh, that's that's something I'm, I'm quite proud of. Is that yeah, it's a really nice way of layering it in because you already have an eat verb. Yeah, and and so you already I mean, need to eat to keep your HP up. Yeah, uh, and now there's like this weird layer of meaning added in where right. it sounds like you suddenly you go like, oh, I I need HP, but if I eat the bat, it's gonna mess exactly, up my combo. exactly, exactly. And oh, that's cool. So yeah, and and. Uh, Yes, and and that was one of the ways where I I did manage to keep the sort of roguelike convention of eating things, but I sort of put a twist on it that made it fit within the context and and mechanics of of this particular game. Yeah, and it's continuing to remove those kind of automatic choices. So, Mm -hmm. like, normal Hunger Clock made everything into an automatic choice. Right. You know, no more uh, uh, expressive uh, play. Right. And if if you take the Hunger Clock out... Then, uh, except for like the handful of monsters who have their who corpses have extra special properties, right. you should just eat everything. Right. Uh, maybe save it for later if you're going to backtrack. But right. pretty much gobble up stuff, keep your HP up. Right. But as soon as you uh, add this combo system now, uh, like there's an actual strategic decision beyond should I use this for HP now or later. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting seeing, like, because Let's Plays and stuff and Twitch players and stuff have been sort of popping up, which excites me. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, it's interesting, like, seeing just how, how they approach the games differently. Because I've seen, like, like people who, like, like the, they only eat one thing and they, they just, that's the thing they eat for the entire playthrough. <laughs> and then there's other people who... Wait, is that strategic or roleplay or both? Well, like, strategic. Because, like, like okay. they, they want the benefits that that thing gets. Like, like eating eating nothing but green slimes is generally a pretty good policy. But then, oh, okay. like, eventually, you, like, you'll, like, as, as you said, you'll be low on health and you'll need, need some health and there'll be no green slimes around. It's like, do I want to ruin my combo? And then, so, that's yeah. the, like, even myself playing the game, that's a choice I've made where it's like, uh, I think I'm going to hold out for another green slime, and then, damn it, I died. You know, I should have I should, I yeah, gone for the health, you know, when I had the chance. And then there, I've seen other people playing who's just, like, they just go straight for everything. Like, bones, if you eat the bones of something, it'll damage you a little bit. And there are people who just, like, eat it, eat 
everything, including the bones. And I'm like, I never, like, I, I'm supposed, like, that's supposed to be a disincentive, you know, but you're, just, <laughs> right. you're still doing it, you know, because it's just, that's just like, I guess, the, you know, the method they've employed. It's like, okay, <laughs> eat, eating as many things, like, eventually you'll get the health back. So it sort of weighs out the cost of, of taking that yeah. damage in the now. So I'm like, the blanket that, approach. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. fair enough. Uh, one of my favorite things actually was uh, well, like one of the, one of the first sort of YouTube video let's plays I saw after after early access came out uh, was uh, someone playing the game and they didn't know how to loot corpses you know they didn't know the button to press oh yeah so instead of looting them they just ate them and then they ate their bones and then all, they dropped all the uh, all their equipment and then they just assumed that's that was how you oh, loot. that's the looting yeah they, they, they were they, they, they just they, and they like they said uh, I think what did they say they were like oh okay I get oh that that hurt me but I guess that's the cost of getting their equipment oh it was perceived <laughs> as like a separate risk reward yeah yeah like if you want their equipment you have to just take take a little bit of damage by eating their bones but now are you like oh I should get rid of the loot button no, well, no. I, I thought, I thought like, that was like a really interesting thing to do. Yeah. So, like, oh, like just the way that people like perceive perceive the mechanics and, and that sort of thing. That like I was like, oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. Um, this is a thing that I've been thinking about uh, for one of my games that's just hopelessly broken because it had this problem for a long time. And it's something that I admire about um, Splunky and about Eight Six Eight Hack and a bunch of other games. Um, which is the thing that I like uh, that I've been calling unpacking, and the idea of unpacking is you um, you screw up, uh, you like um, you know uh, die horribly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the game starts over, um, and you start thinking back on what was the series of decisions I made that led up to my horrible demise, right. and in what ways can I alter those decisions in order to um, you know make it farther next time. Right. Um, have you had like a lot of some games that I work on that just that just happens automatically, right? Like you never are confused, and it's just a weird thing that falls out of the mechanics. And then other things I built, it's like hopeless. You can right. never tell why unless you program the game. Right. It doesn't matter how much juice is in there. Right. Like it doesn't matter how clearly the user interface signals and explains things. Mm. Like it just doesn't. It just doesn't click. It doesn't make sense or something. Have you had? Have you run into things that have been like really hard for? Um, for players or testers to like figure out like what happened or like you know oh I, I can never get past level three it's just you know I can't figure out how to get powerful enough. Or... I think the the in terms of like the reason people die and stuff the main stumbling block has has probably been just like the more reflexive aspects of the game so like combat like. I said I, I mentioned that, mm. that Smash Brothers is a huge influence, and so I've like taken a lot of cues from Smash Brothers. So the combat, like when it happens, is very fast paced. It's like we've got this methodical approach, and then you actually engage, and it's like, oh crap, I'm dead, you know. So oh, so it, but they know why they died. They died because they got hit. You know? Yeah, yeah. But, but then, but it's like, how could they have avoided you know getting into the encounter in the first place and that sort of thing? It's like sometimes yeah. there's no way around it, and sometimes you like sometimes you just have to know when to run. I've seen I've seen like a lot of people playing where it's like they they engage when they don't really need to or like they can just bypass enemies but instead they like go out of their way because they're so used to games where you have to kill everything and you yeah. you know you, have you to, kill all the monsters you get all the loot yeah. and you leave the area and exactly you, you and can. and and that that's sort of what I wanted to to discourage by having the orb of leveling there's no grinding there's there's yeah. you know you can run away from things. It's perfectly fair to to run away from things, even slimes. Like if you see a slime and you're at one HP, it's like 
and it's like not in your way. It's like okay, I'm just I'm just gonna wait. And I'm just gonna not bother that song, you know? <laughs> yeah. Because everything everything is is kind of still deadly, you know. Um, as far as the people dying and not knowing why, I think there there mostly there have been a few complaints about uh, traps. So like sometimes there are like hidden spike traps, and you step on a pressure plate, and it'll you know spikes will come out of the floor, mm-hmm. and uh, those tend to be pretty deadly. Uh, and people were complaining that oh, there's no way to tell. But there's totally a way to tell. You like it, first of all, uh, you can see like there's a bit of a delay beforehand. So like there's like yeah. a click, there's, a, there's like a visual and then a sound, and it's like okay, if you're fast enough, you can move out of the way. If you're not fast enough, uh, I'm not sure if this is this counts, but you can sort of learn where they spawn just by the, the huh. look, of, look of the environment because they only spawn in like one high corridors of this of this certain shape and stuff. I don't know if that counts, but then there's there's also an actual built-in mechanic where if you level up your intelligence, traps become more visible, and oh. and, 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 and or like you can roll roll an item ahead of you to you know see if there's anything there, and it'll trigger the trap before you reach it. Mm-hmm. So I've tried to I've tried to sort of uh, add add uh, methods of like that. There's there are always multiple ways of approaching a situation, and you have to sort of figure out what the best approach is. And so I, I think, like, for people who, who are just, you know, just starting to play the game, they might not realize that. They might just think that, okay, that each situation has one be- one approach. And, and you know, if they don't... Right. But then, like, but then uh, you know, people who have been playing it for longer, I see them saying that every death is fair. And I'm like, okay, that's that's a good thing to hear. You know? Yeah, but yeah. Like, but, like, before you, before you start to, to identify the systems in play and, 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 you know, realize the full extent of the options available to you, uh, there are probably some some yeah. Aspects that I think it's that a hard, a little unfair. It seems like it could be challenging to acclimate people to the ways in which, like, like the things that that to me sound like seem like they define this game. And the things that make the game really interesting and special are also the things that are that it has the least in common with yeah. other games, yeah. which means people are going to be coming to the game with. Um, uh, expectations right. uh, that don't match what's in the game, yeah. which is good. Yeah, you know, like that they are going to end up um, having these surprising, interesting, funny experiences. But like, uh, how do you kind of like guide them in? Like, hey, everyone, I'm like still working is, on that part. <laughs> like, this is going to get weird, but it's cool. Yeah. Like, yeah. like it's fair. It's following rules. It's right. just doing it in a way that most other games kind of don't bother. Right. I'm still working on that part. <laughs> still in early access. I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to get the curve right. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that, that is definitely a concern. Uh, it's tricky. Yeah. I almost like, do, do you build like items that only have, uh, well, a couple of things that they can do? Or uh, like, I think one, uh, I, so I added uh, rat enemies, uh, so they don't they don't do deal any damage. They have no way of attacking. They steal from you though, uh, hmm. but they also dodge. They have an evasive maneuver that sort of mirrors the evasive evasiveness of humanoid enemies. Mm-hmm. And I added that you know to to pre, you know sort of let people see how to deal with this this, this behavior of evasive enemies and like dodging and you know yeah yeah not always being being able to you know easily. Strike and sort of, sort of like teaching them how to like chase them down. I don't know how well it worked, but, uh, <laughs> but rats are a pretty fun enemy. It's they uh, they have a yeah. ten- they have a tendency of, of stealing something from you that you really want, and then uh, jump like jumping into lava. 
Or <laughs> 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 just like getting crushed by a trap and it's like, oh crap. There's there I wanted that potion, so but uh so I, I, I have try I am trying to sort of uh like I said, I the balance currently is not the greatest and I'm definitely gonna need to have a more easy introduction and uh but there's there's a tutorial and stuff. I just I just want people to kind of go into it with, with sort of some slight notion of of what how to approach things and then sort of figure it out from there currently. But eventually, I am going to really work on the introductory curve. Sure. Yeah. It sounds almost like is do you think of the game as kind of growing from like the inside out in a way? Uh, I think that that's actually a pretty good way of putting it. Or the middle outward because it sounds like the. Because uh, I'm, I'm assuming you're still like adding more complex, weird, challenging things at the yeah, same time, yeah, and kind of like building out both ways. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that, that's a good way of putting it. Because like so far, like the the first, the, only the first area of the game is really implemented. So like the later areas are going to have like more more mechanics, more difficulty, you know. And uh, but then I also have to work on the other end of like making it easier to in- introduce, you know. But uh, I think. I think it's, I think it's, I'm I only pointing it out because I think it's par- it's paralleling what we're doing on a on two different randomly generated projects that yeah. we're doing internally right now where both of them we didn't make the first level of the game first or the last level of the game first we're right. kind of in somewhere working in the middle like well, this I, is I when think... this is this should be some kind of sweet spot where it's fun right extra fun kind of i mean or? i think that's the the better way to approach things anyway because you sort of get the core of the game like you find out what the game is about and then you can figure out what you need to introduce players to in what order and that sort of thing so like if you start at the beginning and like just make really easy stuff first and then by the time you get to the middle you might have a completely different conception of of what the game is it needs to be, you know. Yeah. And then if you start at the end, then it's going to be incredibly difficult. And then you're like, yeah, but it's fun, you know. And then you get good at playing the really hard part, and you have uh, really like distorted perception of what introductory players need to know and stuff like that. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do I need to take out, you know? And we've had so. that even growing from the middle out. We've had that problem a ton. Where yeah. I'm like I'm like oh no I'm like I know how to I know how to craft this demo to have this really interesting difficulty curve and stuff. Yeah. And everyone dies in level one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Over. And yeah. over and over and uh yeah it's a mess yeah. um it's interesting so so like uh the um because there's this uh uh it's not a rule or anything but there's this notion when you're doing game design of you know are you designing for depth first or accessibility first and is is one of those like better than the other and it's always kind of like a fake question because you're sort of kind of always doing both a little a little bit but um it feels like depth first is this weird thing where like I don't know where the bottom of the hole is. Right. Yeah. Like I have to start. I don't. I don't know the best way to do the top and like mm. mark out the entrance and show people where to go in. Right. But I don't know what's all the way at the bottom, and so I almost always start like part way down. Right. And we're like, well, we're gonna keep adding in new things and seeing where they go. And this one's terrible, so we're gonna throw it out. Right. And eventually get down to the bottom. And then once you're down to the bottom and you know everything in there, then you know. What yeah. sort of science to put at the top? No, yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Like, I, I, I um, recently redid the tutorial for the game, uh, you know, in, in anticipation of the early access release and stuff to, to give people a better introduction because the old tutorial was awful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I basically made it in, like, like three days. Just <laughs> but, uh, yeah. uh, 
And I anticipate redoing the tutorial like two or three more times before the game reaches 1.0 because as I add things, people are going to need to know more things. And like, I, like as I, I keep mentioning, I'm, I want to make like a smoother introduction and one that's like more thematic. As opposed, as opposed sure. to just like dropping into like, oh, here's a dungeon, here's a bunch of text boxes that tell you how to do things, you know. Yeah. I, I want to I like have it be like more, you know, consistent, you know, there's that word again. Yeah. It sort of has a story. It's like, okay, it's leading you into the catacombs and sort of teaching you the things you need to know along the way. And then, once, and then you get there and you're like, okay, you have an understanding of what to expect and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. And it's in, I think it's interesting how already you've got, you know, uh, oh, let's make the game harder, more interesting. Let's give enemies this dodge move. Yeah. And then already that's wrapped back around to now there needs to be a different, easier enemy right. that like helps support that and prop up that new challenging thing. Right. And growing out both ways that way. Like the more you know about your game and what's interesting about it and what order it's going to go in, the more you know about how to get people up to a point where they can understand it and appreciate it. And right. like, mm. cool. Um, let's see. I don't know. I think that's most of, um, the questions I had here. I have this sort of bullet point for like pixel art. Okay. <laughs> we were, we were both pixel artists and that's yeah. how we originally met. Yeah. And, uh, uh, some like, did you, I mean, were you thinking about game design constantly when you were originally doing pixel art stuff? I think that was like that was in the back of my mind when I was doing pixel art. Was like I'm gonna I'm gonna learn how to do this pixel art so I can make games. Yeah, it was it was definitely sort of omnipresent uh, uh, in my mind, like making making these things for games. But then, I mean, also also I was really like I think pix like just being on the pixelation forums and that, that stuff in general, I was also still learning how to be an artist, you know, a traditional artist, you know. And mm -hmm. so I sort of grew in, in both directions at the same time. And I sort of, I, I still and, and always have had this sort of uh, attraction to uh, non-game animation, like short films and that sort of thing. And I mm -hmm. like that's something I still really want to do. And then there was like the game side is like, okay, I want to learn how to animate so that I can make these games, but also I want to learn how to animate so I can make these short films. And basically it was a matter huh. of like, which one, whichever one I do first is the one, is the one that's going to like take, you know, and it, it, <laughs> yeah. it just happened to be kind of games. Like I started huh. in this game that that's sort of what managed to stick. Uh, and so now that's what I'm doing. But uh, yeah, like it's, it's kind of strange because I feel like, like getting better at pixel art also helped me get better at, at, at more traditional medium and vice versa. So yeah, like weird parallel growth. Yeah. I had, a, I had a kind of a similar experience where it was like, okay, I'm doing pixel art, but it's not, it's not just pixel art. There's right. like composition and lighting and volume and, right, exactly. um, you know, color theory right. and all of those things are kind of all, you start to realize that like, I think it's really easy to see pixel art as a superficial yeah. thing as opposed to something that is like almost more constructed yeah. a lot of the time or like built uh, the same way any kind of painting is. Yeah. It's always really interesting to me to see like artists who, who are used to like working in like higher resolutions and stuff like that, looking at pixel art, like, I don't know how you do that. It's really like, it looks really hard. And like, how do you work so small? And like, it's the same, like they, it all follows the same rules. It's, it's just, you yeah. know, like the, the technicalities are different. Like, okay, dithering is a thing that exists. You have to manually 
AA, you know? Yeah. But, like, other than that, you know, you're, you're still just following yeah, the There's a couple, rule. like, weird emergent properties yeah. that a grid imposes. Yeah, exactly. Or that a limited yeah. palette imposes. Yeah. But aside from that, it's yeah. all kind of shared. Uh, and even the limited palette thing, I think, is spilled over to my more traditional art, where it's, like, I'm really hesitant to, you know, just, like, use yeah. all the colors and stuff. Like, Yeah. Know. Well, you're supposed to, like, yeah, I mean, lots of, I think, um, you know, um, James Gurney, for example, is a painter I look up to a lot, and mm. he always is coaching, you know, like, pick, just pick three colors. Yeah. Yeah. You can you can use the in betweens. You can mix them together to right. make some blends, but you should probably only have three colors yeah. and just kind of go from there. Yeah, um, which is kind of minimalist and kind of not. Yeah, you know, it's right in that little happy space. Yeah. Um, is there anything about Catacomb Kids that you wanted to talk about that we didn't cover? Mm. Uh, I don't know. I guess. Well, I like during Lost Levels. I like got up there and and talked about this very briefly. For uh, very uh, un 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 uh, undirectedly, un so, yeah. So, <laughs> but for, uh, this is wait, real. So, for context, so this is day four of GDC, which is why my voice sounds like okay, this. Yeah. And uh, Lost Levels is a kind of like a sort of a co mini conference thing with a bunch of um, talks about design and art and culture and stuff. It's yeah. kind of connected to games and indie games, especially. Yeah. And you can just, like, get up there and talk about something that's on your mind, which is, yeah. uh, like, there there was there was a, the, kind of a schedule at the start, but that seemed to fall apart pretty quickly. <laughs> People Good. just started going up. But uh, I, I this is something that I've been thinking about for a long time, is, is uh, humans uh, basically as physical beings in games, as opposed to just being, like, representations of humans, like, oh, this is a collection of polygons, this is a collection of pixels that represents a human. Yeah. And I, I'm really interested in, in sort of the more, basically, injury <laughs> and, 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 and sort of, like, hmm. disability and that, that sort of aspect of, of, of being, being human. Because humans, like, we're incredibly fragile beings, but we're made of all these different parts, and our parts can break individually, you know, yeah. And I think that I, I don't really see a lot of that in games. It's like you're either you're a collection, and this this entire collection has either a state of alive or dead, or yeah. you know maybe like bleed out for thirty seconds before you someone revives you and years. Yeah, it's away. like my you favorite know? thing in Street Fighter is you go and like kick someone in the toe a whole bunch of times. Yeah, exactly. and Eventually they die. Exactly, exactly. So I, I like I'm really interested in exploring this this idea of like like breaking humans more on a component level, or like you know, so it's. This is actually kind of a thought that emerged as I was working on Catacomb Kids, so it's not really hugely present other than the fact that you can get your arms chopped off and your legs chopped <laughs> off individually. But, like, it's something it's something that, uh, that I'd, I'd like to explore more in the future is, is like, this idea of, like, being human and being breakable, but also being incredibly resilient and being able to survive these, you know, incredible traumas. Right. Continue. Right. So it's not like your HP went down and then went back up. Right. It's like this is a new state of exactly being yeah. that is different yeah exactly um so. this is weird so this is the the fourth interview i did this week um and in all of the other three interviews the topic of how weird it is to be a person in a game has come up <laughs> it's been in every single one and this is the this is the eighth i think interview in this series mm -hmm. and we've never talked about this before really it's only this week for some reason. It's really <laughs> strange, but and it's been different things. It's been you know I I I think games with people in them are weird, 
Uh, and just like a very surface level, just like it's weird, and I don't know why. <laughs> I don't like to be a person in a right. game. I feel like I'm steering them around. Right. There's some kind of deep disconnect there that's weird, mm-hmm. and that I understand. I, I remember getting um, an old like uh, uh, there's a, a, a PlayStation game series called Onimusha, mm-hmm. um, which is sort of like an old Resident Evil engine, like fixed camera angle with 3D characters, pre-rendered right. backgrounds thing. And if you're, uh, you walk your Onimusha character up near a wall and you continue walking toward the wall, they just sort of like scroll moonwalk yeah. right up against the wall. And, um, and I never noticed that being weird. And then my parents would come through the room and be like, no, is this a game about idiots? That's, that's, something like, I, I, that's something I've actually thought about a lot recently, though, is like, is like are there any, I think I like tweeted about this a while ago, is like, are there any games where NPCs react to the player being a player, like, with any kind of uh, awareness. So, like, if, if an NPC just sees you, like, crouching and uncrouching and crouching and uncrouching, like, is there a way that, right, to make them react? That. Yeah. Like, I feel like Grand Theft Auto is probably the game that comes closest to, like, picking up on some weird yeah. things. Um, uh, and one of my favorite games, um, Vanquish by Shinji Mikami mm-hmm. uh, and Platinum, comes very... They are So they, they come very, very close to doing something that I thought would have been marvelous. And I kill, I kind of still play the game and pretend that it's this way. <laughs> but the protagonist of the game was going to be this kind of Master Chief Space Marine looking guy. Right. Uh, the armor everywhere and a crazy helmet and a mask and giant uh, boosters and, you know, just a, a robot that looks like a person kind right. of. Um, and uh, there was going to be a reveal partway through the game that that was not a person in a suit. It was a robot being controlled by a guy somewhere with a PlayStation controller. <laughs> and so there's going to be this actual full one-to-one where there was like a oh, drone wow. following this robot around and you're controlling oh, the wow. robot that and the drone's of, following him. It reminds me of like Mario 64 with Lakitu as the camera. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, uh, that, uh, but they didn't do that? No, no. Uh, he ends up being just a dude. Uh, and it's like the, I think it's, it's, um, it's, it's. Uh, they kept the idea in, mm-hmm. but it's used as a reveal for an enemy. Okay. So you fight an enemy and you realize the suit's empty. Oh. And it's like, whoa. And it's, it has no power at all. Right. Where, uh, flipped as the protagonist, suddenly all the controls make perfect sense. Yeah. And you know, it all fits together and it does it in a way that, you know, very like, few games. That, that's, except, that's why the entire game they've been, they've been telling you press X. Yeah. It's because you, they're talking yeah, to you. Yeah, they're just you coaching know. you through the yeah. basic things. And you even have, like, an off-site team of people giving you advice in the game. Like, it all really would have fit together. Yeah. Deadly Premonition, maybe, is an interesting example. Um, Deadly Premonition, uh, the main character is um, schizophrenic. Okay. And um, during cutscenes, he's one personality. And then when you, the player, take oh, over... Wow. You're, it's the, his other personality, wow. and he talks to himself. And the person, when you are controlling him and walking him around, um, your name is Zach, mm-hmm. um, and it's not the cutscene character's name. Wow! And so when he is um, conducting a, a a sort of a, a monologue and explaining things, he's telling he's like he's like Zach, we got to watch out for this. I don't feel good wow. about it. That's and he's nice. like talking to you, who then takes over and starts yeah. to play. Um, and a lot of people will sort of discount that game because it's it's it got a lot of other strange right. things going on. But um, like that's, that's some, really somehow acknowledging, that. yeah, that there's yeah. there is a layer here. There's a distance. This thing yeah. is weird. There was a game. Was, I can't remember what it was called. 
or what it was for. It was like Lifeline or something like that. But I don't, I can't remember. But it was like basically, it was like a voice controlled game, mm. and you played as someone in a monitoring, like in a control room, mm-hmm. and there were like monitors everywhere. It was kind of like you know Resident Evil style, like you know uh, fixed view horror game. Oh, okay. But yeah. uh, you were giving orders to this lady on the other side who was like trying to survive this monster outbreak or something like that. And so you'd you'd like, you like you like tell her like. Like so, there there'd be like you'd be watching through the monitor, and it'd be like there'd be like like you go go over to the cupboard, and she'd like go over to the cupboard. I don't know how good the voice control was. But oh. I, I never actually <laughs> yeah, played yeah. it, but I, I remember like seeing it in a magazine, and being intrigued yeah. by it. And like there'd be like yeah. like the monsters would be labeled like monster like worm one, worm two, you know, RPG style, and then mm. you'd be you'd be like shoot worm one, and then she'd like be like and and then so, so, like sometimes she like wouldn't do stuff like like you'd like tell her like get in the shower. And she'd be like, what are you, some kind of perv? You know, that sort of <laughs> right, thing. Right. So it's like there's this disconnect between who you're controlling and, yeah. and you as the player. Yeah. Uh, so two days ago, I interviewed uh, Nina Freeman, uh, who designed How Do You Do It? And she's working on a thing called Sybil, and she's um, a designer at Fulbright Company now. And um, uh, I... We were talking about um, Shadow of the Colossus doing some really weird stuff mm-hmm. um, where the normal controls are pretty normal third-person controls, but when you're on the horse, right. you are not driving the horse. You Your controls are match up much more closely to someone riding a horse. Right. I've heard so that before. I, can, need, like, I really need to play that game. <laughs> oh, man. It's, it's pretty interesting. It's like, uh, I mean, the game is, the game is wonderful, whatever, right. but... The, the horse controls, um, there's some subtle changes to the camera where you don't have really direct, normal, right stick, perfect sphere tumbler camera. Right. And you simultaneously have um, these controls that are a lot more like pulling the reins left and right, right. as opposed to like, I don't know, like drifting around the, like right. power drifting the horse or something. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, uh, Nina's game, Sybil, is all about. Um, it's a, a story about uh, a young woman who is sort of uh, has this developing online relationship with um, someone she plays MMOs with. Mm. Uh, and the whole game is played with you looking at her computer monitor. And so when you, you play the game with a mouse, when you move the mouse, it moves the mouse on her screen. Right. And you're like playing this kind of like super minimalist MMO uh, while there's like voice chat between the two characters. But there's this like perfect one to one of um, you're not controlling a person controlling a mouse like you're just you kind of are one step closer to embodying right. that uh, that person that the game is supposed to be about somehow. That sounds like a pretty cool game. <laughs> it's really cool. <laughs> it's really good. Um, but um, yeah, I'm just I'm really surprised. This is like this is coming up like over and over and over. Yeah. Is this kind of like dissatisfaction? And it's like I said, like with Vanquish, it's something I've thought about after reading this comment from the designer yeah. about oh, we were thinking about doing this. Um, but well, it's not something. It's not something is... that I feel viscerally like. When, my, when most of the time when I play games, I'm just like I'm a I'm a robot person. I don't care, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like I keep hearing uh, like more and more designers like sort of like fixating on this. And it was a big deal in Gone Home where they did all this weird stuff with the first person camera. Where if you turned around to look behind you down the hallway, uh, there are like footstep sounds mm-hmm. of like shifting and moving your feet oh, yeah, yeah. to look behind you. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to just rotating the camera or right, whatever. Yeah, yeah. There's all these like weird things that like try to somehow do a better and better job of bridging this gap and like mm. putting you in this place somehow. 
I don't know what the. I wonder if, like, if this is a trending theme among designers that they're like sort of experiencing this sort of discomfort or dissatisfaction with human representation in games. Like, I wonder if that's going to mark some sort of change in the coming. You know, I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm really so. curious if it's going to become a more accepted because I feel like there's been like there's been this obvious desire to move from like um, kind of a canned video gamey look to a cinematic look. So mm-hmm. like we've got lots of screen shake and lens flares and like dirt on the lens yeah. and stuff like that. But like the only game where that stuff works for me is Metroid Prime. You're but, in yeah, the helmet. Yeah. You can see the reflection on yeah. the glass. The HUD is clearly part of a heads-up display that's part of the helmet. Right. When you go through a misty area, it fogs up the outside of the helmet, and it looks like well, all those things follow. There's that consistency yeah. again. Well, not, not with, like with VR, the whole VR thing starting to become a more a, a larger aspect of, of gaming. Uh, like you know, very yeah. soon. Very soon. Uh, yeah. Uh, like I wonder if, if if that's gonna play a part in in this sort of uh, shift. Yeah, there's when in VR has this weird problem of how do you can you make a VR game that bridges that gap that's not about sitting in a chair, right? Because like right, that's yeah. your thing that you're doing. You're here. You got the thing on. You've got the goggles on. You can do some funny things, but like, are is there going to be the same sensitivity to like well, we can do really good VR experiences that right. are about being in a chair, right? And like. For all intents and purposes, like the the highest quality AAA VR experience there is right now is um, this thing called Elite Dangerous, in which you play a space yeah. fighter pilot sitting in yeah, a chair. Yeah, yeah. Like it can't be coincidence, right? Like there's well, got to be something. How about treadmills? <laughs> <laughs> right? They have these. They have all sorts of weird giant orbs, and you yeah. like put a belt on. Yeah, and you're that, like sort of omnidirectional treadmill. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I just I don't know. I don't know if they can work or not. It's really weird. Um, I think we're going to get there eventually. I don't, I don't know how soon it's going to happen, but I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. Yeah. I just think it can, I, I'm almost almost more interested in that it can happen without VR. Yeah. It can happen with this weird attention to fidelity of motion or fidelity of control mm, yeah. or, um, you know, fidelity of damage or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, and we're, because none of these things are like, you know, it's not intended to replicate the real human experience right like 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 the goal of catacomb kids is not to be like a a person probably like a real like a fully realized no yeah human but there are like components in there that obviously like matter right actually like i'd I'd say the kids are disposable (laughs) (laughs) like the like in, in in terms of like the actual lore of the game the kids are the least important aspect (laughs) <laughs> which is that's that makes sense for roguelike yeah if you're like like and again that consistency right yeah, this, this yeah. is a game where you die 1000 times yeah and so As, and every time you play you're someone else and that's sort of yeah thing. red shirts but, mm. cool i do actually have a lot of lore behind the game though oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the spoiler the kids are actually kind of terrible <laughs> not really the good guys <laughs> oh man Cool. Um, this was really good, man. Okay. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. This was really interesting.